This week on The Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast, we are revisiting Vicksburg to conclude the battle. to the rail splitter the abraham lincoln podcast my name is jeremy with me this evening our rail splitter nick what up rail split nash to all those of you who just got done tearing down some confederate monuments uh hopefully you're all doing well and rail splitter mary what up rail split nash wherever you may be so uh today we are going to talk about vicksburg uh we've talked a little bit about the setup to it it was as far as day number of days number of hours however you want to put it it was quite a long battle so um, that's why we're kind of revisiting it now because some time has passed um since we did the first one where uh, we went up through i believe march um and now we're going to kind of continue on but before we do that we always like to bring you uh anytime abraham lincoln shows up in the news of course as nick kind of alluded we are seeing lots of revisiting of the civil war and analysis of what exactly the confederacy was which of course was traitors literally fighting against the united states uh so of course there's that whole monument discussion which we covered last week um so there's a lot of news stories around that but let's look at a more pleasant or positive news story uh i did notice this on the library's website but it was also shared in the Rail Splitter Facebook group by our friend Rail Splitter Laura, who showed us or also shared the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum's post that today the five millionth visitor went through the museum. So essentially the museum was about two or three days away from its five millionth visitor when it had to shut down in March. It reopened on July 1st with some fairly significant social distancing, uh, face mask, COVID-19 safety measures. And probably they were uh, at the edge of their chairs waiting and seeing who the five millionth visitor was going to be. And it was um, a Lincoln learner by the name of Regina Paget. Um, I like the fact that she traveled to visit the museum. She came from Orlando, Florida. Nice. As the five millionth guest to the museum, she got a bag of gifts, which I'd be really curious to see. And she got to bump elbows with Abraham Lincoln himself, or at least a presenter of Abraham Lincoln, who has also been on the show, by the way. Um, and uh, kind of, she was the center of attention for a little while. Uh, she was visiting the um museum with four nieces and nephews and her comment was i thought it was fitting to come and have them be educated about who abraham lincoln was and what he did for our people uh which i thought was a very touching and um just a cool thing to say and a cool quote and i'm uh inspired by her uh taking her family quite a ways from uh from orlando so tourism from orlando florida to springfield illinois which goes to show you that in this particular battle between Disney World and the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum, the Lincoln Museum clearly won hands down as a 
place for visiting. Nice. Um, so anyway, congratulations, uh, Ms. Paget, on being the five millionth visitor. Um, of course, I don't think they. I think they count it every time you go in. Otherwise, it'd be four million because I've been there a million times. Just kidding. Um, but anyway, that's super cool. It's also good to think that in about you know a little over what about fifteen years ish. I think it opened in around oh five or, or so. Uh, that 5 million people have come through. So maybe in the next two years or so, we'll have the 6 millionth and we can uh, talk about that. But uh, very cool um, uh, events out of the museum and probably a very unexpected and pleasant surprise for just a casual visitor to the museum. So cool stuff out of Springfield. Just so everybody knows, Lincoln does wear a mask. Um, yep. And just so you know, it was a period piece mask as well. It was not a modern day mask, so yep. looked like a handkerchief or something, kind of uh, like a uh, battlefield tourniquet or something. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, mask up. Why? Because yep. Lincoln does. Yep. I actually just uh, so my uh, the health unit where I live, they uh, said it was mandatory to wear a mask. So I ordered some cool masks, and they're all Civil War related. Ooh, coming to a this Lincoln and Link this week in Lincoln near you. Yep. Um, I did notice. I looked up because I kind of wanted to. I think I'm going to try to get a couple different fun masks, as I'm sure probably a lot of educators um, are going to do as well as we go back to school and need to wear masks. But um, there are a couple cool Lincoln ones out there. Um, I know there are definitely some with uh, that make you look like Lincoln with the beard. So. Um, Nick probably doesn't need that because his 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 mask is uh, homegrown. That's right. I'm just gonna pin up the beard to cover my mouth. So, <laughs> well, I got one for the Iron Brigade. Oh, nice for Gettysburg. I got the Peacemakers painting on one. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice. Um, and yeah, those are the ones I got. Oh, and then I got uh, Colonel uh, Robert Gouldshaw from the 54th Massachusetts. Ferris Bueller himself. Yes, I did. Ferris Bueller himself. Yeah. Dude, you're, uh, this week in Lincoln is supposed to be at the end of the show, Mary. Hey, I don't have those we're, masks we're, yet. <laughs> we're 130 some episodes in. Uh, we got to get the order down. So, <laughs> uh, so anyway, if anybody has any Civil War or Abraham Lincoln uh, or really probably any 19th century themed masks, you know, definitely post those on the Facebook group. They'd be kind of cool to see uh, i'm going to see if i can track down some cool ones as well and mary i'm sure will probably show hers once they come in yep um so but anyway of course wear your masks um we'll wear them for you you wear them for us all that good stuff um so yeah that's bringing us to vicksburg um oh yeah and one other thing we all know not to get on this whole you know whatever coronavirus but the number one killer in the civil war of course was disease so keep that in mind more deadly than gettysburg or sherman or anybody else um hey it was disease killed a lot more people in sherman that's a good thing um not no it's not a good thing but we're glad that people didn't whatever yeah dude man what the hell's going on here that came out wrong Um, (laughs) although fillmore i wish he got disease sooner and uh, that was mean. I had to make fun of Fillmore. I didn't really know how to fit it in. Didn't do it last episode because, let's be honest, there's never been a statue built of Fillmore. Wait for it. That can't be true. Um, all right. So we're going to – I don't know how to segue from uh, <laughs> Fillmore to Vicksburg other than just to do it. So 
We're talking about Vicksburg, where in our last episode we left off in March of 1863. So we will be concluding the Vicksburg campaign today. And I'm going to turn it over to Mary, who, of course, on our battle episodes tends to do much of the heavy lifting. Uh, she is, of course, Civil War fangirl after all. So, Mary, why don't you take us through every the rest single of the day of the siege, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's happening. No. On this day, they said, oh, <laughs> yeah. man, I'm really. Oh, no, we're not. No. All right, Mary, take it away. All right. So, in our last episode, we left off in March of 1863. So, in this episode, we are going to be discussing the rest of the Vicksburg campaign. So to sum up the campaign, what we've discussed so far, it's naval operations, which I want to emphasize is the key to getting Vicksburg. So Vicksburg is naval and infantry. And that, like the naval part of this is something that often gets forgotten in this whole campaign. And so that is a very important part of securing this river which is what this campaign was all about, is securing the Mississippi River. Um, so it's um, naval operations, failed missions, and 11 different battles, many of which we discussed in the first episode. And the campaign is divided into two formal operations. So there's the operations against Vicksburg from December of 1862 to January of 1863, and Grant's operations against Vicksburg from March to July of 1863. And that's what we're going to focus on in this episode. So just to recap on who's there. General Grant has his Army of the Tennessee there with five corps. He's got McClernand, Sherman, McPherson, Washburn, General Dennis, and General Park. And on the Confederate side we have Pemberton, who has General Loring, General Stevenson, Forney, Smith, and Bowen. And there's also General Joseph Johnson's forces in Raymond in Jackson, Mississippi, and they have about 6,000 men. So that is who is involved in this campaign at this point in time. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I like to look at like that list because um, I, I did spend some time in Chickamauga over my little vacation a few weeks ago, and that's like a you know Hall of Fame list of of generals on you know both sides. Every like it seemed like everybody was involved. And then you look at such a key turning point in the war as Vicksburg, and very few household names are involved in such an important battle. Basically, you've got what Grant and Sherman, and to a lesser extent Johnston, um, and the rest. Of course, Civil War. Uh, fans know many of the others but um i think you know it's there's there's a little bit less romance to the whole vicksburg battle uh which i think leads to it being maybe under underappreciated maybe and misunderstood so um it's i don't i find that interesting and, and i'm glad we're spending some time on it because it was very important mm-hmm. um one general i just wanted to point out real quick at mcclernand just because you do have Sherman, of course, and then, you know, all these generals under Grant, but uh, McClernand is kind of viewed, I think, in many different um, circles as like the quintessential politician in uniform, uh, Lincoln appointee for political reasons who had essentially no military experience or expertise. Um, so he's an interesting character, I think, to 
to learn about um, because he's from a very similar area, born in Kentucky uh, in 1812, just a few years after Lincoln was born in Kentucky, uh, spent some time in Illinois. Uh, McClarendon was a Democrat from uh, in the House of Representatives from Illinois, so Lincoln, of course, needed to appease many Democrats by giving them appointments. Um, so McClarendon, who was a close friend of the little giant himself, Stephen A. Douglas, uh, gets the rank of major general, essentially completely unwarranted and unearned, but a political appointment by Abraham Lincoln because he needed to appease uh, some Democrats. So uh, McClarendon, he's got a school named after him. He's buried in the same cemetery as Abraham Lincoln, uh, but uh, really did, did, did nothing militarily well and was not qualified, but definitely uh, achieved a pretty high rank. Um, there's also a pretty famous picture of Abraham Lincoln at Antietam, uh, where you have Abraham Lincoln, uh, Alan Pinkerton, who was obviously, you know, started the Pinkerton Agency, but of course a very, very important um, coordinator of intelligence in the Civil War, and then good old McClarendon uh, in the in the same photo. Um, and just as one other quick aside, if you look at a photo of General John McClarendon, McClarendon. Uh, he looks remarkably like Stonewall Jackson, which means nothing. But I just—it's oh, just—it's just interesting to me. He's, like he really—he—he's a doppelganger for uh, for Jackson. I agree. He's—I'm uh, not going to say he's the Stonewall of the West because that's Patrick Claiborne. But yeah, doppelganger, doppelgangers. Yeah. Yes, F- physically, not militarily, no. uh, or or qualification-wise, no, not at all. Um, the one. Uh, Corps commander I want to mention here is uh, General James McPherson who will be one of he's not the highest ranking but he is one of the highest ranking Union soldiers killed during the Civil War he's going to be killed on July the 22nd 1864 during the Battle of Atlanta he's commanding here too whoa spoiler alert yep (laughs) yep and he's actually one of Sherman's favorites so yeah he's he's actually an engineer so he's um, he's commanding a corps here during Vicksburg as well. And then Joe Johnston is not to be confused because isn't wasn't there the Johnston at um, Shiloh? Yes, that right, is Albert Sidney Johnston. Right, and he died, of course, at Shiloh famously. Yeah, yeah. Um, Joe could have been could have yeah. been saved by a tourniquet. Uh, died from a, a leg wound that he bled to death essentially. Yeah, Joe Johnson is actually going to go on to surrender to Sherman. The two of them go on to become BFFs. And Johnson will actually be a pallbearer at Sherman's funeral. Wow. And he will be told, put your hat on. And he says, no, Sherman wouldn't do that for me. So I'm not going to wear my hat. And Johnson will die a couple of weeks later. At oh, the man. age of 84. Yeah, yeah. damn. <laughs> um, He's also, he got hurt and then Lee took his spot. Yes, I that that's too. why that's why Lee starts commanding is because yeah. Johnson gets wounded. He was actually the most senior U.S. Army officer to join the Confederacy. Yeah. Yeah, Johnson was, uh, yeah. He's, he's who's uh, right now in 1864. He's playing cat and mouse with Sherman. For the uh, Atlanta campaign. So we're going to go on to... Uh, re- actually, are we re- ready to move on? I should ask our host. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
two. We're going to go to April 16th, 1863. Um, Actually, a little bit before that. So the early months of 1863 had seen Grant conduct what battlefields.org terms as experiments, which I think is the perfect description of what Grant does, um, up and down the river during the early months of 1863 to finally figure out what the heck to do with Vicksburg. Um, and this was met with zero success. And I'm saying this as Nick is holding on to a baseball bat as... <laughs> it's a mini bat, so... It's a mini bat. Um, so Grant has realized that an assault based on the west bank of the river held the best chance for a victory. So he keeps a supply base at Milliken's Bend and moves south below Vicksburg on the Louisiana side of the river. So, on April 16th, this is when it all happens. There's a ball happening at Vicksburg when this happens. Um, The night before, Pemberton, who is the leading commander for the Confederate Army, he's at Jackson, Mississippi. He sent a message that says, an attack is expected soon, the night before. And it happens the next day. So, funny thing about Pemberton, he's from Pennsylvania. He marries a southern girl, and there's his allegiance right there. So, Admiral Porter sends seven gunboats and three empty troop transports loaded with stores to run the bluffs. And Admiral Porter is leading the way in his flagship, the Benton. And Porter writes to Gustavus Fox at the Navy Department, By the grace of God, I hope to see us yet with Abe, Uncle Abe's foot on Jack on jeff davis's neck which is i when i read that i was like yeah (laughs) he's going for it (laughs) he's done he's going for it so in anticipating the heavy heavy losses sherman has four yalls which are basically just these like they're basically just yachts um hauled across to soto peninsula to the mississippi just below vicksburg And soldiers on these would conduct rescue operations if necessary. Well, spoiler alert, they're not going to need to do that for this. So Vicksburg has been warned by a rebel spy of the impending attack, but they did not take it seriously. And that's when, you know, Pemberton's like, oh, we're under attack. Um, But then a soldier writes, the citizens do not fear an attack. So in Vicksburg... They're not expecting any of this. Um, So around 10 o'clock that evening on April 16th, a long procession of bulky shadows glided past noiseless, showing neither light nor steam. But the Confederates do see them. And they start firing at them. And the bluff along the Mississippi explodes with artillery fire. And the Union gunboats answer back. So on the river, on the river in the front of the city, um, Donald L. Miller in his book Vicksburg says that it was as bright as day. The rebels had actually set fire to the to um, some like abandoned buildings along the shore to give the gunners maximum visibility. And the howling of their guns was continuous and ear splitting. And Charles Dana writes. One of the, it was one of the most terrific scenes ever witnessed in warfare. 
and Julia Grant happened to be a few miles from what happened. She was safe, but she could still hear what was happening. And she said, Our men are all dead. No one can live in such rain of fire and lead. So only the high parts of these boats are hit. So Porter has the maneuver to hug the east shore, which is right under the Confederate cannon. So the rebels can't hit them at all. And the fleet survives with little damage inflicted. And there's only 12 wounded from getting all these supplies down the river. And when Sherman sees um, Porter's gunboat, he says, Benton Ahoy. I I think that that's always one of my favorite stories because I think sometimes, you know, it just kind of gets told like, oh, the silly Confederates, like their guns couldn't, you know, because they they had the high ground too much, right? Like they couldn't, they couldn't fire down with artillery, right? Um, So they just kind of grazed over the top of them. But I think it's kind of important to think about the courage that it must have taken you know, of course, there's a calculated risk, like because they could have been blown out of the water, literally. Um, but you know, you take that Julia Grant quote and you look at, you know, there was enough cannon fire to light up the night, and yet they're just kind of like cruising along right underneath it. Like that had to be, you know, I mean, that's a, a considerable amount of bravery yeah. just to say, like, despite the entire side of this ridge, apparent, you know, uh, just lighting up with cannon fire, cannon fire, and everything else and just kind of cruise underneath it. Um, I just think that that's, that's a pretty, one of the, one of the more, um, I guess, interesting images of the war is, or, or, or kind of like a, an opportunity to put yourself like, man, what would that have felt like to just watch those shells just whizzing over yeah. waiting, waiting for them to come crashing in and they just kind of are able to cruise right underneath it. Yeah. This is my favorite part of the Vicksburg campaign is this right here that they're able to do this. Um, So not only are they able to run all these supplies past the batteries, but they are getting past the batteries of Vicksburg. And it also illustrates the importance of the Navy in this campaign, which often gets forgotten. Navy gets forgotten in the war. Oh yeah. Let alone in this campaign. So um, this campaign, yeah, this campaign could not have been done without the Navy. And then that's one of the things I love about the Civil War is everybody, you know, you picture Navy, you, you think about these like ocean battles and, you know, uh, amphibious type stuff. And, you know, the, the river warfare, river Navy, naval um, commanding and fighting to me is just so fascinating. Yeah. No, like Porter and Grant had to work together on this to do this. And that's exactly what happened. Like Grant had tried everything before that and he went to Porter and it was like, what can we do? And together they hammered out this plan to get past them. Yeah, getting the troops across the other side, this will be the largest American amphibious operation till D-Day. So it's definitely a huge operation, and the brown water Navy definitely gets forgotten about during the Civil War. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And actually, I think, um, I don't know if you two have read it, but Donald L. Miller, his book about Vicksburg, um, he really hammers home the importance of the Navy in this whole campaign. Yeah, and it seems obvious when you look at it because, you know, especially when as you go through it. But I think you know, for for the longest time, I've you know, the, the Battle of Vicksburg, whatever you want to call it, 
I think often just gets referred to as the siege of Vicksburg, which yes. of course is a very important part of it that you'll get to. Um, but I think sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, it was a siege where they, you know, <laughs> like I think people, a lot of times that I made the mistake too for a long time, I was just thinking like that was essentially the essence of the battle when really there was considerable risk taken by Porter and by extent, of course, Grant, um, and, you know, and the naval part of it, too. But, of course, it makes total sense when you're talking about control of the Mississippi River. Of course, the Navy is going to play a huge role in it. And, and of course, they did. Yep, exactly. And that's when – so once they get down there, there are a few battles that take place. Um, there's Grand Gulf, Snyder's Bluff, Port Gibson, Raymond, Jackson, Champion Hill, and Big Black River Bridge. And then you come upon the Siege of Vicksburg, which is May 18th to July the 4th. And that's where they're just hammering on Vicksburg. Yeah, and a lot of those battles are just like maneuvering the troops. Yeah. I think uh, Snyder's Bluff is done above the Vicksburg to distract so they don't send more troops to the south to screw up the going. Then you have Grand Gulf was supposed to be the original crossing point but they're not able to take out the batteries there so he's got to go further south to Bruinsburg and then they're moving inland which leads to the battle of Port Gibson which will then be Raymond which is on the way to Jackson they'll knock Jackson out of the uh, out of the picture and effectively Johnson's troops and then Champion Hill is really the big one out of those little battles that eventually leads to the siege Mm -hmm. and Big Black River Bridge Battle kind of pins them in making yep. the siege possible just to give a quick summary there yep that was excellent and then battle of millican's bend it's defended by yep. african-american troops they fight bravely with not so great weapons they do a great job in the grant miniseries yes yes how many cigars nick did you give that <laughs> <laughs> Three and a half. I stand by that three and a half. Four point five cigars for me. Yeah, that's you don't know how to critique movies or pick <laughs> NFL teams, but anyways. And and there's also Goodrich's Landing, but by May 25th they are under siege. So this is when the Union just kind of hunker down, and they're gonna siege Pemberton. So this is not a great time for. The citizens of Vicksburg, they end up living in um, like tunnels and holes because Vicksburg is like a city on a hill. So they dig in, they live in tunnels and holes. There's um, there's stories that the they start running out of paper, so they use them for newsprint. And uh, me and Jeremy saw one of those uh, Vicksburg newspapers on wallpaper. And when we saw Ronald White, do you remember that at Midway Village? Mr. I do not. Dr. Boyce? <laughs> I do not. Well, see, that's why I am known as the observant rail splitter. It was actually <laughs> in that glass case. Remember how we were getting the book signed? I guess you didn't get the yes, book signed. I did not. So... Yeah. Midway, Midway Village in town has one of those. I believe it was from Midway. Or maybe oh, yeah. they had on loan. Sorry, tangent. No, it's okay. You can keep going on if you want. 
that that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm not the host, so I can't. Tell I would like. Can you uh, dive into day 17 of the siege a little bit? Yeah, I can do that. Right. <laughs> that, was, that was a key day. A that was a key day. That cards. was when they. How long was the siege? Do you know off the top of your head? The I don't know right now. The siege was from May to July the 4th. Long time. Yes, because of course, famously, it's the same day as the as Gettysburg. Yep. Um, which is uh, arguably one of the greatest dates in Abraham Lincoln's life, I would imagine. Yep. Well, day, <laughs> it's on. day, I guess, July 3rd is Gettysburg. July 4th is Vicksburg. Right. Yeah. But essentially yeah. like the news yeah, comes around the, the same you know. time. Yeah. Yeah. So like in early June, Grant has established his own line of works around the city and there's 13 points along the line and he orders tunnels dug under the Confederate positions where explosives can be placed to destroy the rebel works. And by the end of the month, um, those are ready to be let off but the confederates had built a redan where the jackson road crossed their lines east of the city and their position there was manned by the third louisiana and union miners tunneled 40 feet under the redan from the james shirley home packed by and it's packed by 22,000 pounds of black powder and on june 25th that's detonated with a huge explosion and twenty hours of hand-to-hand fighting in a twelve-foot cr- deep crater. Ah! Union regiments are not able to advance, and they withdrew. The value of this. They withdrew. The siege continues, but Pemberton is running out of food. I'm so hungry. Yeah, I'm no, so hungry. food is key. I need to eat Pemberton. <laughs> Oh, Thanks to crazy. Nick to providing how this is the Vicksburg felt. So Pemberton and Grant talk on July the third after the siege, and that's that's when, of course, you know the what, what's the famous line, Mary? I'll leave it to you. The the famous line of Abraham Lincoln's about the Mississippi River: "The father of water shall flow unvexed to the sea." God, man, the man knew how to turn a phrase. Yeah. Um, one thing I like about Vicksburg is like when you think about Grant in in especially in comparison to really any other general in the Civil War, he goes from Shiloh and you know of course he bounces around a little bit and you know I don't want to just reduce him down to the most well-known battles but you know Fort Donaldson and uh, Shiloh then Vicksburg so he's got Shiloh which is a you know the, the first kind of major battle. It's one of those battles that kind of resembles the big battles in the Eastern theater, you know, kind of the battle from the Western theater, the most closely resembles the large scale battles, like your Antietam's and your Gettysburg's and, you know, bull runs and and stuff in the Eastern theater. Um, But then he's got a siege with a Naval component. Um, Then he, then he has lookout mountain and missionary Ridge and Chattanooga, which is very unique fighting conditions with the elevation and, you know, um, obviously it being on a mountain and then he goes out to the Eastern theater and plays the chess game with Lee, like the, the vast uh, types of warfare that Grant was involved in uh, to me is fascinating, you know, mm-hmm. for, from a siege to, to, you know, large battles to large troop movements to mountains. Um, I don't think there's any, really any other 
general and of course multiple theaters of war going from the west to the east um like i I think that that's one thing that that sometimes maybe get over gets overlooked from grant is that not only did he have a lot of success and of course a lot of setbacks as well but he had to fight in almost every different type of battle possible in the war you know what grant's run that you just said reminds me of rob reiner's run of movies that he had from 1986 to 1992 (laughs) Starting with Stand By Me, a great family movie. And then he follows that up with Prince of Bride. All right, both kind of family, great family movies. Then When Harry Met Sally, the perfect adult rom-com. Misery, a great horror movie. (laughs) Follow that up by A Few Good Men. Talk about diversity right there. Perfect parallel. Rob Reiner and U.S. Grant, baby. Good. Um, okay. That, that's rest not a peace. reference I would have made, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with it. All right. Rest so, in, rest in peace, Carl Reiner. Just yeah, passed away yes. yes. a week ago. If I could add something in, <laughs> perhaps it might perhaps not talk the Reiner thing. Reference? Yeah. No, it's it's totally Civil War reference. But um, so yeah, the the other thing about the Vicksburg campaign is um, it is actually laying the groundwork for the March to the Sea. They yeah. are foraging on the land and actually the funny thing is is Sherman is like oh no we can't do that that's wrong but flash forward (laughs) spoiler alert yep there he is doing it realizes it works and they kind of just abandoned Jackson and kind of burned down the stuff that they couldn't use there. Yeah. Uh, kind of similar to what Sherman will do yeah. going from Atlanta to the coast. Yeah. No, there's well, I think that, and that's, that too. I think kind of, kind of shows the decisiveness of Vicksburg. Because once Vicksburg falls, like, of course, as Lincoln said, the, the Mississippi flows unvexed to the sea. They have control of the entire Mississippi. But then there's, like, that feeling of, like, all right, well, they kind of freed up. It freed up Grant in a way. It freed up the entire army for Sherman to take and cut a line, you know, all the way mm-hmm. to, you know, across the West through the South and, you know, all the way to the ocean. Um, so, you know, had they had that siege lasted longer or had they, you know, had the Confederates held and somehow won Vicksburg. And like, you know, I think that that really, I mean, it, it changes the dynamic of the war in, in a really huge way, just by essentially closing off that, you know, Southwestern, portion of the theater of war um and freeing up a lot of you know talent certainly for the union but also um resources and um and really the, the army the army that sherman ends up taking to the sea yep no that's yeah he and they learn both he and grant learn a lot in this campaign about that that will lay the foundations for this and that's something that does get forgotten is this is where total war starts mm-hmm. and the funny thing is is like the one thing i remember is like sherman at first is not in agreement of it always defending sherman i am because <laughs> he was like no we can't but then finally he's like fine <laughs> if i'm gonna do it though i'm gonna do it like, we're gonna I don't do think it we're gonna make georgia howl <laughs> Yeah, if I, if I if I'm going to start this job, I'm sure I'm sure going to finish it. Yep. So, all right. Anything else on the Battle of Vicksburg before we move on to our uh, weekly features? Yeah. Well, I think we should probably wrap up a little bit more about the, um, just kind of the the moral 
I, I'm not, I don't want to say moral, but just what Vicksburg means and what happens after all Go for of this. It, yeah. um, and compare it to, to Gettysburg, which Gettysburg is July the 1st to the 3rd, 1863. Vicksburg surrender happens on July the 4th. Both are victories for the Union. And I mean, to me, I see them as being equally important victories. One is a very tactical victory. We are like the Union has secured the Mississippi River. The other is a very moral victory that had it not been secured, it might have led to. And yeah, even though it's in July of 1863, the 1864 election failing. So I see these two victories as being equally important. Yeah. And talk about your connection to Abraham Lincoln. You know, that's yeah, very, very much. So the, the election of 1864, and we've mentioned this on the show before several times, but you know, keep in mind that we've go from Andrew Jackson to Abraham Lincoln without a president being reelected. So, um, it, it, you know, even getting the nomination, uh, is, is not guaranteed for sitting presidents like it is nowadays, unfortunately, in some cases, um, so yeah, like the, the the war in 1863, you know, had it taken a couple turns, we the outcome may have been very very much different. I'm getting stressed out thinking about how I would visit Vicksburg. There's so much to see. I'd need like a week there at minimum. Are you serious? <laughs> well, dude, yeah, just what we talked about today. I would have to go see. You know, you got to run past the batteries there. Um, but then you got Snyder's Bluff, which is north of that. You got Milliken's Bend, which is north of the, you know. The and then you got to go past Vicksburg. You got Grand Gulf. You got Port Gibson, Raymond, Jackson, Champion Hill. Then you got the Siege. You got to go into town. I mean, come on. Plus all the stuff we already <laughs> talked about with all, like, the botched attempts, too. This well, it's no stressful. different than the Gettysburg campaign. That, that thing is... Uh... You know, yeah, but Gettysburg, June third like to July the twenty fourth, eighteen sixty three, Gettysburg campaign. Yeah, but like Gettysburg's easier just because you have like this culminating, you know, event three days where the There's siege. You so can't really much... like the siege is so. I don't know. I, know, I just there's... feel like Vicksburg. I would have to tackle differently. I, I have been to Vicksburg. It's it's it, it's difficult to kind of a, see the battle i guess and gettysburg of course is like the gold standard but like you can you know at various spots in gettysburg you can just sit there and you can see like you can almost picture the battle happening you can see pickett's charge you can see where chamberlain made his maneuver you know you can see how the battle lines were drawn you know that kind of thing um vicksburg is a little different because it was you know dynamic and there was multiple you know, it took place over so long and there was different elements to it with the siege and, you know, the troop movements and everything. So other than when you're, you know, on the banks looking at the river where you can kind of see like, oh, okay, now I get, I get one, why this is an important area, but also, you know, where, you know, where they had kind of hell with supplies and everything. Uh, but the actual like battlefield itself is a little tougher to kind of get a grasp on. Um, but it is pretty cool. Um, and Illinois has a very impressive monument there. They spent a lot of money uh, putting the Illinois monument up specifically at Vicksburg, but uh, it's also worth checking out. You know, the Gettysburg, the story of Gettysburg is Gettysburg the battle. To me, the story of Vicksburg is the journey to the siege. 
And that includes all the times he falls down and, yes. you know, the mistakes that he makes. Um, and then the journey of finally getting there, crossing the river, you know, taking out uh, Jackson out of the equation, the city of Jackson, that is, um, and then moving there. So I think that's why it's more of a challenge um, for me of what I would want to see. No, but, you know, but it's something I'll tackle and figure out, you know, maybe this COVID will give me the time to tackle this. <laughs> And then post-COVID, this guy will take, you know, a month journey. Um, as long as I got internet access, maybe when we get shut down again for school, <laughs> um, I'll just hang out down in Vicksburg uh, by myself or with my significant other. But Well, and Nick, that makes, you know, I, I like what you kind of said about the, you know, the siege isn't the thing, but, like, you can't have a siege unless you've gained a significant advantage from a military standpoint where, you know, essentially the decision is like, do we take heavy losses and take the city or do we just take advantage of our very strong position and just wait it out? Yeah. Which of course was the right decision there because, you know, they, you know, you lose your advantageous position if you do try to attack. Um, And a strong defensive position doesn't matter if you can't get supplies and food uh, to, to your, your troops and your army. So, um, so yeah, I think that that is really important. The, the, the chess match that kind of led to the, the union and grant having just a, a significantly advantageous position where they could wait it out. Well, yeah. and a, a, a lot of campaigns are like that though. If you look at them closely, like Gettysburg campaign is like that. The Atlanta campaign is like that. There's a lot of little battles that lead up to this culminating. I know. You know I, I understand all that. I'm just saying, like Atlanta, if I was going to do the march to the sea, like if I'm going to go down Atlanta, I would do the march to the sea and go to all those major battlefields because that's the story there is the march yeah. to the sea. Gettysburg, yeah. the story to me, and I think to most people, is those three days there. Yes. What plays out there. You know, the lead up to Gettysburg isn't as sexy to me as the lead up to Vicksburg, in my opinion, I'm or the go, march to the sea. I am going to go down a rabbit hole here and say that the lead up to Gettysburg is incredibly sexy when you look at it. That's because you're researching it, and you're a nice person, and you love to dive into four and a half cigars for Grant. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, hey. I agree. No, if... I, if I, yeah, and that's, like, that was one thing, like, I... I uh, it, that I think often does get overlooked. And I agree with Mary where like, you know, many, many battles, like it's not as if like right. 20, 30,000 people are just marching around. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, there's the enemy line up guys. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, there's the, the skirmishes and the, you know, the, the different cavalry units going out and, and figuring out where the enemy is and, you know, the intelligence officers and everything else. And, um, you know, we make jokes about the the best ground you've seen all day or whatever. Um, but yeah, trying to figure out when when is when is appropriate to engage in battle and when it's not. Right. Because um, I think oftentimes we just kind of focus on when they actually decide to engage. Exactly. And it's like, all right, let's start now. Let's just start with you know Antietam or or wherever yeah. else. Um, and there's a handful of battles where, um, you know. I think Antietam may be one of them. Uh, I think Chickamauga is one, too, where, like, there really wasn't a huge there's advantage a, one way or the other. No, there's not and a it, huge build-up to them, but Gettysburg, right. yeah. there is. Like, and there, I think Gettysburg also gets more attention because it was in the north. Like, it, you know, it, it was Lee invading. Yeah, but, I mean, like, with Gettysburg, you have 
Brandy Station, which is a cavalry battle, one of the biggest ones in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. You also have the Second Battle of Winchester, which is, you know, allows Lee to move forward into Pennsylvania. So you have all these little battles that are Winchester, Schminchester. Winchester. (laughs) (laughs) You have all these little battles that are leading the way into these three days in July that are basically what is going to become what I would call the downfall of General Lee. The downfall of General Lee. I said it on this podcast, the downfall of General Lee. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think that's, like, too crazy. I, it's, you know, yeah, I mean, like, I like how Shelby, Shelby Foote always, you know, worded it famously in Ken Burns, where Gettysburg was the, the price that the South had to pay to have Robert E. Lee. I mean, of course, Shelby Foote over-romanticizes everything, but I think that there's quite a lot of truth to that statement where, you know, he, yes, he had he had against against very very long odds. He succeeded many times, and the one time he failed, he failed spectacularly with Pickett's charge. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, it's the the what ifs of you know what if, what if he hadn't ordered Pickett's charge? And um, I think that that gets overblown. And I know we're getting way off Vicksburg at this point, but I think that okay. gets overblown because essentially, had he not done that, it would have been the same outcome where the the union was able to sustain significant losses both in men and material and the confederacy wasn't and it was only a matter of time to when when those material that material advantage and in, in manpower and material and and supply was gonna play out and that just expedited it that's my kind of take on that whole thing mm-hmm. well i think vicksburg is a bigger military victory than gettysburg that it has is. ultimate downfall because it's a political victory, but Robert E. Lee regains the morale of some of his troops afterwards, and yeah. Lincoln actually is in huge trouble election time, and it takes a lot of other things to play out okay. with the taking of Atlanta, which yeah. possibly doesn't happen if Vicksburg doesn't go down because Vicksburg becomes your primary target. So I actually think, definitely from a military standpoint, Vicksburg is more important than Gettysburg. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I said, I see them both as being equally important. One is a very tactical victory, Vicksburg. The other is a moral victory that they needed. And that's where I'm standing on it. Yeah, definitely for the Union troops, they needed that victory. Yeah, and that's why I see it as just that's why it is so important. Yeah, and I think there's – these are – this is a very good – conversation about mm-hmm. to, to to take to the next level of like why is the eastern theater get so much more focus exactly and like right does does gettysburg get overemphasized i think it does for several reasons one it's in the north yep two lee screws up and of course the whole like lee myth is central to a lot of people's fandom of the civil war i think but there's also the gettysburg address which happens months later but like it's so so identified in so many Americans' minds as like the and, and, and deservedly so, uh, but you know like that particular speech comes to personify or comes to encapsulate the whole war, what the war is about, you know, and it's of course brilliant and eloquent and everything else. But does that add to this to the the mythic nature of Gettysburg? Of course it does. Um, and I think all of this leads to Vicksburg being oftentimes overlooked. Yeah. I think also it's sexier. I mean, when you have frontal attacks at the 
with the amount of people taking place, it's yeah. sexier for the average person than than a siege, which is this ultimate strategic decision, um, which was right one. It was brilliant too. Um, it's just I think it's easier to roman- uh, romanticize that I, than definitely a siege. Definitely, like Gettysburg is easy to romanticize. Like, okay, so name me three Union get like generals from Gettysburg: Meade, Hancock, Sickles. Name me three from Vicksburg. McPherson. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah you str- you struggle a little bit more, like but there's still like like I mean the ones I named, and yes, Sickles is included in this. They're still rock stars. Yeah. Well, of that battle of Gettysburg. But the ones well, we named for Vicksburg are still rock stars. Well, yeah, and and the other thing too is not not just the officers but the the soldiers like you know of course we you know say whatever they're fighting for shitty things no no question but you know pickett's charge like you cannot deny that that was exceptionally brave but i think that's you know being part of a siege and essentially defending your position while you know until to the point of starvation right and to the point where like you know they they essentially starved them out i mean that that's brave also like yeah. you know they could have easily just said like i like screw this like i am oh, not completely going to, this is stupid uh but to to consider that they essentially you know went through the pain and everything else and i please don't take this as like romanticizing you know people who are fighting for some really really evil yeah. things but as far as valor goes like that 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 is commendable um much and, and i think in a similar way as you know people you know operating under orders on Pickett's charge knowing that they were probably going to get slaughtered and of course they were um just different kinds of bravery but i think it's overlooked to it like oh yeah the siege like they just kind of chilled for a while yeah. and then gave up like it's not like sumter with john with um anderson like he kind of realized like all right this isn't going to work yeah. we're not going to get supplies you know very brave people nobody died you know surrendered like this was they, they held out as long as they could exactly um, which I think is is something. You know, you brought up the Lost Cause earlier. And thinking about what role does maybe Lost Cause play in Vicksburg? I mean, you think about the West, like mm-hmm. or what's known as the Western theory. I mean, the Confederates yep. don't have much to hang their hat on. Oh, they uh, don't. At, no, no, you know, they, they don't at all in the Western theater. In a great light, um, you know, Bragg is Bragg, although Ford was oh, the biggest. Bragg. The biggest. But, um, <laughs> but, um you know, there there isn't a lot to really put a uh, whole, uh, you know, a no. lot of good, great moments as far as the Confederacy is concerned in the West. So no, there's not. I wonder if that plays a role because the Lost Cause, for a while there, did get such momentum and really got people, you know, into the Civil War, um, unfortunately for the wrong reasons. And Lee was their guy. And Lee was in the East, and that's what was being studied. I don't know. That's just a idea. Yeah, but there's I, also there's also that idea like, okay, if Lee doesn't order Pickett's charge, perhaps the war would have ended differently, which I, I don't believe at all. But I think a lot of the lost cause – I mean, Newt Gingrich wrote a book about, you know, yeah. had they not done Pickett's <laughs> charge, the South you know, would have won. You know, um, like I don't think there's anybody who's like, oh, they just would have held out longer at Vicksburg. <laughs> you, you know, like no they, way they, like, would they have done that. Right. It was, it was going to happen. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think, you know, when you when it gets down to it, when you're talking about the lost cause, West versus East, yeah, there is more 
Eastern theater generals that are associated with the Lost Cause than there are Western. Like, I mean, you look at the Western theater Confederate generals. I mean, some people would probably know the name Claiborne. Forrest, Nathan Bedford. Forrest, Forrest. yes. Forrest, definitely. Maybe Hardy, Johnston. But if you look at somebody like Patrick Claiborne, who had that, like, he had a whole emancipation drawn up, he never gets discussed because there's no way in hell is he fitting in to the lost cause mentality at all. So he gets left behind. But there's generals like that. So the whole story from the lost cause doesn't get told. No, that's why it's shitty history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I very much agreed. Um, All right, anything else on Vicksburg before we... Now move on to our weekly features. Yes. I think that was a good... I think we actually um, just kind of... I'm not trying to go off on a tangent here. I think we need to have a discussion sometime about Eastern Western Theater, Abraham Lincoln, and how he felt about the different places, East versus West. Agreed. Agreed, yeah. Um, Because, you know, him being from essentially the West and yep. being a frontier candidate, at least in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that there's so much to it, especially with the role that Kentucky plays and how important Kentucky was to Lincoln and in and, and the war, of course. So, yeah, for sure. So coming to a Rail Splitter episode near you, uh, a comparison of the Eastern and Western theater, a little bit more in depth than we just offered. Uh, we do have a weekly feature on the show called Of the People by the People, where we bring in a social media post. Um, uh, I'll start just because mine's a little bit more general because I saw several posts about a particular item today. Um, we're recording this on uh, Thursday the 9th. Um, some good news out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, the Tennessee Capital Commission, which is notably not the Tennessee legislature, um, voted to remove a bust from the Tennessee capital of someone that Nick just mentioned, Nathan Bedford Forrest, uh, who, of course, was a Confederate cavalry general and founding member, founding person of the KKK. Um, They've taken down or they voted to take down the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest from the Tennessee state capitol um, with a couple others. So, Grant, you know, I know the Confederate statue debate goes on, but uh, it's good to see out of Tennessee that that Forrest, who, of course, um, it's just a start, but he's the among or the most obvious person, like, come on, take it down. Exactly. Um, so so um, I don't know if the extremely comical, laughably terrible uh, forest statue outside of Nashville. And if you've seen Google, it, if you haven't seen it, it's ridiculous. Um, I don't know if that one's coming down, uh, but his bust is coming out of the state Capitol in Nashville, which Good. is cool. And for all of you who posted about that, that was pretty cool. And a couple of news outlets posted about that as well. Uh, do either of you have an of the people by the people? I do. Yeah, I got, you can go ahead, Mary. Okay. So mine is like kind of a review as well so jim slattery who is a frequent listener frequent poster on our real sweater facebook page so thank you jim he he said truly appreciate the always fresh fresh takes you guys have on history just listen to number 132 really enjoyed and learned a lot from your discussion with nathan rab that's another book i'll need to add to my list on that note i'm sure nick 
rolled his eyes just a bit when Jeremy was talking about how the book was an easy listen. I mean, read. <laughs> I never roll my eyes. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> All right, mine comes from Ben Holmes from the Facebook page. Uh, join that if you haven't. And the title is I Like the Sound of This. And it looks like this comes from like some type of Lincoln newsletter or mailing he gets. Uh, and it's about a documentary. In 2019, the cable network, CNN. Uh, oh, dang it. It's going to be fake news. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> Unless it comes from a Canadian news source. But anyways, uh, CNN began work on original six-part series about the pressures and decision of Abraham Lincoln's world. The working title from the Glass Entertainment Group is Lincoln, an American President. Uh, They're using archival and recreated footage along with expert commentary, including uh, Berlin Game, which we all know, and board member Joshua Claiborne. Uh, It's going to be six segments. the network will air the six segments after the November 2020 elections and before the January 2021 swearing in. So we'll probably get three in November, I'd imagine, three in January. So always good to see some Lincoln Doc coverage. Be curious to see how that compares nice. uh, to the Grant series. Um, you know, CNN, sometimes they do some good stuff. Sometimes it's kind of mediocre. But um, they got the guy. I mean, Berlin game. He, he, does anybody know more about Lincoln than him? No. Other than Lincoln? No. So, be curious to see. I'm interested to see what the recreations look like, too. So, that always, yeah, as we talked about with Grant, that's a big part of sucking in that casual viewer. I will say this. I always, every time Berlin Game, uh, and I I really, you know, uh, Michael Berlin Game, of course, is the Lincoln Scholar at the University of Illinois Springfield, uh, and he wrote Abraham Lincoln, A Life, which is the arguably one of the best or the best uh, multi-volume biographies of Abraham Lincoln. But every time he gets brought up, I always think about Dr. Stacy, who's awesome, uh, who is a leading scholar on Mary Lincoln. Um, and when we were able to go to Springfield, listening to her talk about a conversation she had about Berlin games, take on Mary Lincoln um, and the kind of how that banter went. I just enjoy um, yeah. because she of course um, felt he could have and should have, um, been more accurate and empathetic with his portrayal of Mary Lincoln yep. in his work. Um, so yes, I agree wholeheartedly that Michael Burlingame is the or a leading Lincoln scholar, but always read multiple people. Agreed. All right. Uh, so that leads us to This Week in Lincoln, uh, which of course we've talked about our masks already, so if we don't have one prepared... Beyond the masks, I think they can serve as are this week in Lincoln. Do we have anything else? Actually, I just want to emphasize the importance of the Navy in Vicksburg. Yes. Um, and if you want to have a balanced look at the battle, please read Donald L. Miller's book, Vicksburg Grant's Campaign That Broke the Confederacy. Man. Why is it the titles? I mean, like... I know. I just put that in because I'm like, I don't want to put Vicksburg because there's so many Vicksburg titles. But it's like, okay, if people are Googling it, then at least they know. All right. So for Railsplitter Mary and Railsplitter Nick, I am Railsplitter Jeremy signing off for this weekend. Of course, reminding you to remember to walk the world with malice toward none and charity for all. And we will see you next week.